right. So tonight, once again, we're going to be in the book of Acts. And I know we call it the Acts of the Apostle, but the truth is, is it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit in his church is what it is. God moving in and through his people what Jesus Christ promised. He said, you see the works that I do, greater will you do because I go to my Father who is in heaven. That is the promise that God would not leave us orphans, that he by his Holy Spirit would live inside of you and me. So we're going to be in just a moment, we're going to be in Acts chapter 23, and we'll probably pick up, I'll tell you what, we'll start with verse 1. We'll start there in just a moment, because I want to pick up, we, we kind of rushed it right there at the end, the last time we talked, and I want to make sure that we're covering a few things. But what you're going to see today is, or tonight rather, we're going to see some problems. We're going to see some problems in our thinkings and in our actions as human beings. We're going to see how God, using the Apostle Paul, he's witnessing, he is sharing, and God has already told him. And you remember how Paul, he already knew, the Holy Spirit had shown him that he was going to be arrested. He was going to be bound. Prophets even came to him and talked to him and said, Paul, whenever you go here, you're going to be bound. He says, I know, it's okay. He says, I am not only ready to be bound or imprisoned, I am ready to die for Jesus Christ. He says, but I know that I know in my heart this is what God wants me to do. So he goes, and they pray for him, and they bless him. As soon as he gets to Jerusalem, yes. You know, uh, the people were telling him early on, Paul, these people have it a little mixed up. He said, they're coming to know more and more about Jesus. They're coming to believe uh, the truths about Christ, but they're, they're still not quite there. They still believe that you have to obey the law of Moses. And uh, they're lying about you, Paul. They, it's not that they're just being wicked and evil. They've been misled. They have been told that you are perverting the teachings uh, of the Word of God, that the uh, decrees of God through Moses in his law, that you were disobeying those, that you're tearing those apart, and also that you're perverting the temple, that you brought Gentiles into the temple, and all of this was ludicrous, Okay. But what they were trying to do is defame him in some way. They were trying to tear him down so that people would not listen to him. And so one of the things that they asked Paul to do is they said, whenever you come here to Jerusalem, what we want you to do is uh, show that you love your countrymen, that you love your faith. Now understand, this is one of the things that I was trying to emphasize don't just look at the Jewish people and say, oh my goodness, these people were just horrible. They couldn't get it right. They said, no, 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 people, their entire lives, this isn't just something that they did on the Sabbath day. Their faith was their culture. It is what identified them. Now, yes, they may have been mixed up on some of the details, but understand, we get mixed up on the details too. We're not the people that just, you know, have a coin on everything. We understand everything. We understand in Christ Jesus those things that, let's say this, the important things. But we're also continuing to grow in our faith. We know that faith in Christ Jesus alone saves. But at the same time, we're also growing and learning because the church has made some uh, mistakes. We'll talk about that over the years. But, so understand, Paul is trying to share his 
the, the reality of Christ. He, his faith, yes, but what he's doing is he's trying to take their uh, understanding of God and bring it to fruition to help them to understand that Christ is the fulfillment of the law for all that believe, okay? And that Jesus Christ did not come to take away their faith, but rather to give it its proper meaning and purpose. What God had promised from the beginning, what had been said even from Genesis, through the life of Abraham, through uh, Moses in the teaching of the law, straight on through the Psalms and all the prophets, everything that God promised finds its fulfillment in the person of Christ. Okay, And he's trying to help them understand that, that there no longer is a sacrifice for sins. Christ Jesus was the sacrifice. And so he, he's, he's trying to love his brethren, but he was lied about. And so whenever he comes to Jerusalem, as we know, he was beaten unmercifully. They, they had to carry him. Then he stands up, and if you remember what we studied last time, he said, let me speak to the people. He started speaking to them in uh, Hebrew, possibly Aramaic, but either way, he starts speaking to the people and the people start listening. And they were fine with everything that he was saying until he got down to the end and he let them know something. And it was this, God loves all people, not just one group. God loves Gentiles as well as Jews. And that ticked everybody off and they're like, no, 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 get this infidel out of here. And they wanted him dead. And they were going to take him. Well, Paul ends up you know, getting uh, the guards rather take him. They, they were going to have him beaten. And, and I know I don't have to rehash all this, but I kind of want to get you to a point here. So they take Paul. They have, they're going to strip him down. They're taking the thongs. They're binding his wrist. And Paul finally looks at him and says, wait a minute, this is lawful for you to do to a Roman. And they pause for a minute and go, what, if you're a Roman? Yes. How much you pay for it? I didn't pay for it. I was born a Roman. They're terrified. Because you couldn't even bind a Roman unless there was some charge. And it wasn't just a charge that had to do with somebody else's religion. And so they were getting ready to beat him, which means they themselves could have been killed. So they're trying to get him out of there. And so what ends up happening is he wants to sit down and they want to hear what are the charges, what's really going on. So in essence, what the Romans are doing, or, or the I guess you'd say the representatives of the Roman government, is they're saying, Paul, what's really going on? Let's hear what's happening. So this is where we come to today, and we just started into this last week. So in uh, Acts chapter 23, let's start. I'll, I'll read in verse 1. We'll get to verse 6 here in just a minute, but we can start in verse 1 if you want to. But it says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council. What council? This is the Sanhedrin. Now, for you Bible scholars out there, we'll talk just a moment about the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin uh, came to be, and it was formed early on uh, under Moses. Whenever God told him, said, we need some judges in the land, and I'm not talking about the book of judges. I'm talking about people to settle disputes and to answer questions, okay? So what ends up happening is they get together a group of people, and in this particular case, uh, the Sanhedrin wound up being uh, 70 people plus Moses. So we're looking at about 71 people. Later on, what it came to be known as, especially in the time of Christ, you would have these individuals made up primarily from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which we're going to be talking about in just a moment. It seems like in history, most of the time, the Sadducees were the predominant group in there, and we'll talk about who they are in just a moment. But in this council, plus the high priest, and the high priest, of course, being a Sadducee. All right. 
So what they would do is they would settle issues, issues of major importance, especially issues that had to do with the law of God. So what you're seeing is these people are coming together and they're going to bring an accusation against Paul. Now understand whenever they came together, even the law, the law of the Lord God, protected people, okay? You know, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, you had to get your stories together. You couldn't just walk up and say this person's wicked and have them killed. It's not how it worked. There was supposed to be justice. There were supposed to be actual witnesses to what went on to corroborate the story. So anyway, the council is there, the high priest is there, and Paul begins to speak. So let's take a look at verse 2. Or let me say, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Okay, so he starts speaking. He says, you know, I've tried to live with a good conscience doing what I'm supposed to do. And it says, and the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by to strike him on the mouth. So basically, they're offended at Paul and what he does. Now, now think about how righteous this is. Now, you might want to talk about cultures and different things like that, but hold on. This is not even allowed under Jewish law. But what he does, Paul opens his mouth. He says, why don't you just shut this guy up? He says, hit him. And the guy turns around and strikes Paul, which was against the law. Okay. Well, it shows you, I mean, I, I guess I don't have to draw this out too much, but if you think about it, it shows you the attitude and the heart. You remember, they want Paul dead. They want him gone. Same thing that they said about Jesus. We want him gone. People are going to band together. They're going to take oaths to kill Paul. Okay. So anyway, commands him to strike Paul on the mouth. Then Paul said, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? Okay. Now, what, what are you seeing here? I think a very, very just uh, comment, if you want to know the truth, calling him out that he's wrong for doing this. And the whole idea of the whitewashed uh, tomb or the whitewashing is the idea is that the outward appearance of the person may look righteous, but inside they are wicked. That's what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees whenever he said, you're all whitewashed tombs because on the outside you appear holy and righteous, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and corruption. Same idea here. He's looking at him saying, you're wicked. Well, then they inform him of something, and some people have said this is tongue-in-cheek. I don't know that that's exactly the truth. I guess it could be that Paul was just saying, oh, I, I, I guess it, I didn't realize it was the high priest because he had me struck. But you actually see some contrition in what Paul's doing here, not because he had necessarily committed an unpardonable sin or something like that, but rather Paul was recognizing something that I believe that King David recognized, and that is he would never, ever raise his hand against God's anointed. So regardless of what King Saul might have done in trying to kill David, unjustly attacking him, going after him, hunting him down, all of those things, there were several occasions in which David could have killed Saul. But he says, I'm not going to do that. He says, whenever God wants to remove him, God will do that. God anointed him, put him in place. God will take him away. And even when somebody, which I believe lied later about having struck down Saul, who fell on a sword, uh, Paul has that person killed for even saying that he did it. Um, excuse me, David has him killed for even saying that because he said you had no right. 
You had no right to do that. So it just shows you the heart. So anyway, you're seeing right here, he says, God, it, it will strike you whitewashed wall because he said, you're judging me and yet you're doing something that's contrary to the law. So verse four, it says, and those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? In other words, how dare you speak in such a way to the high priest? Well, this is kind of the sad thing. The highest authority there next to God's Holy Spirit, the highest religious authority in the room at that time is the high priest. So who's going to call him down? Who's going to look at him and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You don't have the right to do that. And I think that's one of the sad things that's wrong with human beings today. We get too big for our britches. And we think that we're something. We think that we're better. We think that somebody owes or in some way we're spiritually superior. And that's not the case. One thing that I firmly am convicted about, saints, is that all the ground at the foot of the cross is level. It is. And what I'm saying, because God may entrust you with a responsibility or a ministry, albeit how big or how small you may perceive it in your life, our perception of big and great is different from God's. What we might see is small and tiny. God may look at it and say, oh, no, 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 that's a biggie. And some of the things that we might think is great, God might not look at them and say, mm, that may not be as big as you think it is. But the point doesn't change. It's what we're doing for God. It's, it's, it's who we are and where we stand, and that is hopefully we're standing in him and not in ourselves. Okay? So the high priest does something against the law, but nobody brings a charge against him. The only person that spoke up was Paul. And then whenever he finds out about it, now remember the whole time they're looking at Paul and they're saying that he's against the law, that he's, you know, leading people away. But what happens the second they look at him and say, are you speaking this way to the high priest? Even when the high priest did something wrong, horribly wrong, it shows you how far we can fall. The highest religious authority in Judaism, by the way, is a Sadducee, which means they do not believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in the delineation between spirits, you know, angels and demons. And many people would, would agree that they didn't believe in spirits either way. But whenever you look at what they taught, how do you believe in God and not believe in, in life beyond death? As a matter of fact, that's one of the major complaints that they had against Jesus Christ. The reason why they hated him is because what Jesus Christ taught was absolutely opposed to everything that they stood for. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But so they had a problem with this, and so now they're going to have a problem with Paul. But Paul basically says, okay, I'm sorry. They say, do you revile God's high priest? Of verse 5, God bless the reading of his word. It says, then Paul said... I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So you see Paul, at least in mercy and in grace, responding. However that might have come, Paul, even if he may have been angry or whatever the situation may have been, you see him saying, okay, I recognize whether I like this man, whether I even approve of this man, he still stands in the office of the high priest. Okay. So now we're going to be talking about the scribes and Pharisees in just a moment. So verse 6, it says, But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am, the, am a Pharisee. I'm a child or son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. Now here is the thing. 
Now, yes, there's going to be a problem. He seized an opportunity. He knows that the belief system of the people on the Sanhedrin is different. He knows that the Sadducees, by the way, I understand that there is some scholarly debate on this, but just the, most of the evidence that we have today, let me give you what we, what we believe that we know. The Sadducees were more, uh, not just a religious class, but they were more of a political class. People have even, uh, well, they've said that they were kind of like aristocrats because they were kind of the upper crust, and that is true. And it's not that all Sadducees were priests, but many of them were, which should bother us a little bit because if you do not believe in the resurrection, if you do not believe in spirits like angels or demons or things like that, whenever you become anti-supernatural, how do you truly believe in God? Because God, by definition, will be supernatural, right? He's greater other than. Well, another issue with this is if you don't believe that there is life after death, then you're starting to say, well, what about judgment? There's really not judgment after that because how do you hold people accountable that whenever they die, they're just dead? So the whole idea of God being the judge of people, uh, of the living and the dead, all of that starts going out the door. So even though the Sadducees were very, very powerful in, I guess you would say, a political sense, and that they brushed elbows with Rome a good bit, and they tried to stay in good with Rome, they were not held in very high esteem by the commoner. Because what they believed about God, the people that were there, they wanted a relationship with God, and the Pharisees provided that. But let me go back and say something else. So, well... I'll I'll cover them both here in just a minute. Let's just go to the Pharisees for just a minute. Whereas the Sadducees might have been of the priestly class, when you talked about Pharisees, you were talking more about lay people, okay? And the idea was to live for God, to serve God in sincere obedience and holiness. And you can see how works righteousness may have crawled into that over a period of time, absolutely. But the idea was to serve God, to believe God. They absolutely believed in the resurrection. They absolutely believed in the supernatural. Now, let's go back for just a moment. The Sadducees, primarily, although they did see the scripture as a whole and they wanted to adhere to it, primarily it was the first five books of Moses, okay, the law. Okay, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was their biggie, okay? That's what they concentrated on. Now, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind that they hold the law in such high esteem and knew it and knew it well, okay? That's what they would refer to. Whenever it came to the Pharisees, it was the whole of Scripture. So what happens is whenever Paul is there, he looks up and he's like, wait a minute. Oh, we got Sadducees over here and we got Pharisees They're like wait a minute I'm a Pharisee he says everybody would you like to know why I'm really on trial here today and people this isn't just a tactic this is actually the truth he just uses it to his advantage he says I'm here because I believe in the resurrection that's what I teach that's what I believe In Christ Jesus, who was resurrected from the dead, I teach that there is forgiveness of sins through his death, and ultimately all of us through him might be forgiven of sins and once again be resurrected and live forever. So he stands up and he says that. Well, here's the deal. Wait a minute, what do you think the Pharisees are going to say? Because the Sadducees would have piped up and said, wait a minute, there's no such thing as a resurrection. Oh, wait a minute. 
Absolutely there is a resurrection. So let's see what happens here. So he says, it's because of the resurrection of the dead that I'm being judged. So in verse 7 it says, and when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisee party arose and protested, saying, We find no fault. We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Do you see where it's progressed? See, they're saying, wait a minute, you know, the resurrection's good, but hey, if he's claiming that somebody appeared to him on the Damascus Road, who are we to say that that isn't true? So you see, it's really going downhill for the Sadducees at this moment. And they're even going as far as to say, wait a minute, Paul, he's fine, he's fine, Okay. Now, when there arose, verse 10, now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. So people, these are the little details in scripture that we shouldn't miss. Okay. You remember how it says they came upon Paul and they beat him. And then a verse later, it says, and they had to carry him. He's beaten unmercifully. He's unconscious, okay, or very close to it. And what you're seeing here is they're not just simply having a little bit of a disagreement. They're each other's throats, so much so the commander of the Roman uh, uh, officers there, he's saying, we better get Paul out of here before he dies, okay? They're going to wind up tearing him to pieces. So this is getting pretty ugly. Now, what I want you to do is let's talk about the Sadducees for just a moment. So if you will, and you don't have to go up there, guys, unless you just want to, I'm going to have you flip over to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, just to complete this thought. Okay, in Mark chapter 12, and we'll start in verse, okay, 18. Let me tell you, this is one of the scriptures that you know about. Many times you hear in the scriptures about Jesus uh, encountering the scribes, uh, the Pharisees, and sometimes the Sadducees or whatever their other group is, is trying to get at him. But there were many times that he was tested. It says this, they came to him testing him, wanting to see how he's going to respond. Well, in this case, it's the Sadducees. And by the way, now think about this. Being priestly, being people that you know, supposedly stand, and stand before and serve God, they're going to educate Paul, right? They're, they're making sport of him, or rather in this case, Jesus. So they're going to make sport of him and just really have some fun here. So they, they do this. So in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 18, the word of God says this, praise you, Jesus. It says, then some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and they asked him, going to Jesus, and they say to him, teacher. Now, first of all, they didn't consider him a teacher. They mocked him most of the time, but they're deciding to have fun. So they say, teacher. Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and they don't have any children, his brother should take that wife and raise up an offspring for the brother. Okay, that's, that's normal. In other words, what was in your family, the land that belonged to your family, in order to keep it, to make sure that your family name and your possessions remained within you, your family, your tribe, however it may be, if you did not have a child, the brother could go because family line, 
could go and help you to have that child so that you might have someone to take on your family name. Okay, so good, no problem there. So he's saying, this is what Moses said. Now, do you remember how I said they hold the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, as they are referred to as the law? Okay, they hold it in very high esteem. So they're referring to it. So he says in here, let's see, that they will raise up offspring for his brother. Verse 20, now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and dying, he left no offspring. And the second took her and he died and he didn't leave any offspring. And then the third likewise, so that the seven people actually went into this woman. Okay, we're married to her in other words. And they left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died. Okay, so they've all been married to her. Therefore, Jesus, in the resurrection, when they rise, remember, they do not believe in the resurrection. So they're saying in the resurrection, when they rise, they're mocking him. That's the whole thing that they're doing. They're wanting to make fun of Jesus. So said in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? Now, people, I know I'm not the most holy of people. And I know from my background in law enforcement, sometimes my nerves can be trampled upon. But this is one of those times I honestly believe that somebody, you know what a SWAT is, right? SWAT, that's what your parents did to you when they come up behind you and just in the back of the head. This is one of those SWAT moments, okay? Because you are being so ugly at this moment. You're mocking Jesus. The only other time that I think that people were uglier to Jesus is whenever they said, do we not rightly say that you are demon-possessed and that you are a Samaritan? Okay, those were the two most hateful things that they could say about Jesus. And, of course, Jesus talks about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit at that time. But let's take a look. So they look at him and say, well, Jesus, you know, there's... We got all these brothers, and obviously somebody's going to have to claim her in that resurrection y'all believe in. Okay, okay, let's see how Jesus responds. Jesus answered and said to them, catch his words very clearly and very carefully. Are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? People, people, people. He said, let me tell you something. You're wrong. You're wrong. And let me tell you why. Number one, you don't know the scriptures. And number two, you certainly don't know the power of God. So he puts them on, uh, I mean, he's putting them on notice right there. He said, you're mistaken. Absolutely. Because you don't know the scriptures. And you do not know the power of God. And Whenever he says you don't know the scriptures, the whole point is is that our gender, if you will, as far as for procreation, is an earthly thing. It's not a heavenly thing. Though we will be known and though we will absolutely be identifiable, understand the male-female gender issue exists for the purposes of procreation, something we will not do in heaven, okay? But just listen to how he puts this here. He said, are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? Now, when they rise from the death, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. We are truly brothers and sisters, joint heirs in Christ Jesus. 
So it says here, like the angels in heaven. Now, he addressed that issue. He looks at him and he says, you don't understand. Now, did I tell you that you wouldn't be Shane and that you wouldn't be Sue? and that you No, that's not what I said. You will be you. But at the same time, understand in that heavenly kingdom, there's no need for procreation. Okay? And that is what Jesus is saying. It's not a matter of two people being married together in heaven. We are all God's children and we all belong together. Okay? Now, that being said, he addresses that issue, but notice what he says next. Okay. They're like the angels in heaven, verse 26. But concerning the dead. Now, people, if there was ever something that hit hard, I want you to hear this. But concerning the dead, that they rise. In other words, you're asking about the resurrection. So you may not believe in the resurrection, but he said concerning the dead, the idea that they rise, he says, have you not read in the book of what? Moses. Notice he didn't tell them, say, well, let me refer to prophet such and such or this particular scripture in the Psalms or in Proverbs or whatever other writing may be there. He immediately refers directly to the person that they hold in the highest esteem, and that is Moses. So he calls him back to it. He said, have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage? That would be the biggie, Okay. In the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Did you catch that? It's present tense. God did not say, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Isaac, and I was the God of Jacob. No, these people are dead. Okay, you think about it. But he says to him this, he says, I am presently their God. So you catch this. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. Now, that's the Son of God saying. So, I know we're going to continue on. I know I've got to close, but, but, but just, just catch the idea here. And people, it should serve as a warning to us and some of the things that, that, that the Scripture teaches us, and I know how society and influences can bear down upon us, but there are a lot of voices and there are a lot of influences in this world. There are many people, even today, in Bible colleges and seminaries and all these kinds of things that do not believe in God. Now, I'm not telling you they're not wonderful seminaries. We've got some wonderful, wonderful seminaries, some incredible men and women who, who are scholars that love the Lord and have contributed so greatly to our understanding of Scripture. That's not what I'm saying. Do not misconstrue that I am in some way saying that education is bad. Get what you can and as much as you can, okay? But understand this, just because you have initials after your name does not mean that you know diddly. Yeah, I said diddly. Quoting, quoting the great Norman Geisler, the late Norman Geisler, he said, PhD in many situations means phenomenally dumb. And he had one. So what I'm saying is there is and has been and still continues today influences in our life that take away from the truth of the Word of God. It doesn't matter what human wisdom may try to come up with 
We do not check our brains at the door and sit here and say, well, I guess now we are wiser than God. The Bible describes it this way. The Bible says, professing to be wise, they became fools. Changing the image of the incorruptible God into graven images, images made with hand, worshiping the creation more than the creator. And what I I guess I'm saying to you is, I guess it, it troubles me and it bothers me that this is the lineage of Aaron. Okay, the brother Moses, you think about this. Aaron, his descendants were the priests. These are people that are supposed to know God. These people represent the masses before God. They served in the temple. They're priests. And yet they would go as far as to say there is no resurrection. How do you believe that when you look at the Scripture? How can you say that? And even Jesus pointed out, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But people make no mistake, stuff like this happens today. We have these gatherings of people that get together, and what they want to do is say, well, we no longer believe that this is the Word of God, and the day that this ceases to be the Word of God is the day that everything's up for grabs. If we don't have, thus saith the Lord, if we don't stand by what God says, What's going to be tomorrow? Everything goes. Whenever you have people in churches today that are debating not only the authority of the Word of God, but whenever they turn around and say, well, we we don't believe in the deity of Christ. As a matter of fact, we're not Trinitarian anymore. We don't believe these things, these hallmarks, these, if you will, anchors of our faith. Where do we go from there? And people, I'm not trying to be super spiritual or something like that. But I will tell you this. If you want to label me narrow-minded, if you want to narrow me a Bible thumper or label me a Bible thumper or, you know, a holy roller or something like that, yeah, I, I guess I am. I guess I am. Because I would much rather believe what God says in his word than to trust myself any day. Okay? So that being said, we'll pick up next week talking about Paul. We'll finish up and then we'll start our little boot camp that we're going to be doing tonight would anybody like special prayer tonight anybody special prayer we'll pray for you tonight if you need it all right then let's stand together our father true and living god besides whom there is no other Father, forgive us where we fail. Forgive me, Father, where I fall short. And if I ever teach anything contrary to your word, correct me, Father, and may your people know the truth and not what I say. Father, I ask you to bless us tonight. I ask you, Father, that we would walk as close to you as we possibly can. Pray that we cleave to you and that, God, we wouldn't turn to the right or to the left. Father, use us for your kingdom. Help us, Father, not to be ashamed of the truth But Father, to stand up for when it doesn't matter if the whole world looks at us and says we're wrong. God, may we be found standing in you. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. Keep this and bless this, your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Love somebody before you leave. Oh, choir, by the way. If you're not in choir, get in choir. Get in choir. There you go.